Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 34 of The Place of Sound. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode, and thanks also to those who've been following along through the last few episodes of the show. For those who happen to be listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space, or the social geography, using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media production formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Typically, episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history-style interviews that explore the topic of home. Soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place. And we often end the episode with a short documentary-style piece that explores the place-based identity of the producer. The aim with these particular projects is to allow the producer to think about the places that made them who they are today. But in this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We'll still be exploring the theme of sound and listening but we'll be listening to audio reflections. As always, this work was produced by students in the Communication and Media Studies program here at Carleton University, and it responds to the following question. What does it mean to listen? It might seem straightforward enough, but there's literally an infinite number of ways to answer it. Now, typically, the responses you'll hear are about five minutes in length, and they're delivered in the form of a monologue. The projects that you'll hear in this episode were produced in Comms 5218, Sound, Space, and the City. It's a graduate-level course in the Communication and Media Studies program that ran in the winter semester of 2022. Before we listen to the projects, we're going to take a quick second to hear about a documentary podcast series produced by Megan Linton, an Ottawa-based researcher and disability justice activist. The series is called Invisible Institutions, and it explores the injustices of large-scale state institutions and their effects on those who are labeled with intellectual and developmental disabilities. There are now seven episodes in the series, each of which opens up a different chapter about the history of institutionalization in Canada, showing the ways that this history still very much shapes our present. It's a timely production in light of the pandemic, and it raises questions about the ways that we do or do not care for the most vulnerable people in our society. The following is a trailer for the series, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about it, check out invisibleinstitutions.com or follow them on Twitter using the handle at INVinstitutions. I have prison pen pals and there's more similarities between my living situation and the living situation in a prison institution. 
it was like a prison. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it was. We were basically locked in our rooms, completely alone. Introducing Invisible Institutions, a new documentary podcast exploring the horrors of large-scale state institutions for people labeled with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Canada. The host and creator, Megan Linton, is a researcher and disability justice activist investigating the unreported and invisibilized horrors of the institutional system. Join her on her journey to the grounds of current and former institutions, including interviews with survivors, community activists, and experts, as they work together to expose the exploitation, isolation, resistance, and survival facing people labeled with disabilities. Find Invisible Institutions wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 2022. Okay, on to the projects. In this episode, we'll listen to three audio reflections, all of which were written and delivered by students in the MA program in Communication Studies. The first is by Serena McGillivray, the second by Claudia Gleason, and the third is by Kennedy Ryan. Serena's piece offers an exploration of listening through the topic of memory. For Serena, it's impossible to conceive of listening without thinking of it through the lens of one's past experiences. Listening is an enactment of the self, Serena argues, of one's history, of one's memory. And she goes on to link these ideas to place, arguing that listening is a place-based practice that has the potential to not only bring forward our past, but also to bring us back to particular places and particular moments. Serena, over to you. part of a song, right before the crescendo, heavy guitar riffs and cymbal crashes, or it could be the moment a song begins, when you first recognize it, the familiar chords of the piano against some sort of percussion. Within these moments of listening, there is memory, a memory of a particular time of your life, whether positive or negative, or something in between. But there is a sensation perhaps nostalgia, or a forgotten feeling, flooding your mind with the past. It could be a song, but it could also be the sound of rain against your windshield, the crashing of waves, horns honking, a word, a phrase, or maybe even a name, and it all comes rushing back. When we listen, we remember. We are momentarily called back to another time. For me, this might be a song. Well, it would definitely be a song, but when I hear a gentle ripple of waves coming onto the shore, I remember Victoria, British Columbia. Within this sound, I am taken back to the year I lived in this tiny island town, where water was always near. If you didn't see it, you could hear it. If you didn't hear it, you could feel it. The act of listening 
whether actively or not, reinforces time and place. What I mean by this is that listening is constantly a process of remembering. As soon as you hear a sound, it is in the past. Not that I'm trying to philosophize the act of listening, but there's an inherent temporality to listening and sound, at least in my opinion. Even when listening to a recording, it exists in a new time, a new place even. And just with any act of listening, its moment in the present is fleeting. But beyond the temporality, listening also means tempo. Tempo as in the speed or pace of emotion, most commonly associated with music. But perhaps we can consider tempo beyond music, to think about it in regard to sound more broadly. When listening, sounds do not play at a consistent rate. Some are slow and heavy, while others are quick and light. Think foghorn compared to a car alarm. In going back to my earlier example of Victoria, BC, the sounds near the water overlap in an orchestrated symphony of waves, wind, people chatting, a car starting, and maybe even a bird chirping. Each sound layers, playing at certain times, certain tempos. And again, the soundscape is only temporary. If new people arrive, it will change. If the bird flies away, it changes. This particular arrangement of sounds only exists in that moment until something is added or removed. The act of listening here means listening to a particular set of sounds in a particular place, in a particular time. Listening means creating a memory. Or maybe we can even say listening is memory. In coming back to the larger question of what does it mean to listen, I also think about a certain type of listening. One that is active enough, that takes in the sounds and oral landscape fully, but not always entirely. In other words, a type of listening that focuses on the sounds, perhaps choosing what is heard and what is ignored. I mean, when I listen to The Longest Wave by the Chili Peppers, I'm not tuning into the murmurs of the upstairs neighbors. That I will allow to be muffled by the music, even if I have to turn it up. Listening can be specific to an event or place or person, but it can also be layered. A kettle boiling can make me think about yesterday and the cup of Earl Grey tea I made and the countless other days I performed the same routine. Yet, the sound of the kettle can also make me think about my family or the other places I've lived. Perhaps it makes me think about a movie, although I'm not sure which one. I said previously that listening is about creating a memory, that perhaps listening is memory. But sometimes listening is about remembering something that already exists. So maybe listening is memory as much as listening is remembering. The second audio reflection is by Claudia Gleason. Claudia approaches the topic of listening by thinking about its opposite, tuning out. She describes what it was like growing up in a large family and how that shaped the ways that she thinks about sound making and listening, where being heard was typically associated with being the loudest. 
She uses these experiences to inform how she understands listening today, which is quite different than it was in the past. Claudia? There are a million different ways one can listen and a million different reasons why one might listen. Perhaps it's for educational purposes, as a student sits in a classroom and listens to an instructor cover a new subject. Perhaps it's a young adult who sits on their new balcony and listens to the sounds of the community below as they become acquainted with their new neighborhood. No method nor reason is less valid than another. In my most lucid moments, I listen, or try to listen, as a conscious act of grounding, and I'll let you know why. In a minute. What does it mean to listen? A quick Google search of this very question reveals nothing but a dictionary definition of the word listen. If you are curious, it's to give one's attention to a sound. It's also a verb, meaning it's a word used to describe an action, state, or occurrence, and forms the main part of the predicate of a sentence, such as hear, become, or happen. I like verbs. I use verbs all the time. I walk, I talk, I wash dishes, I boil pasta, I read books. Depending on who you ask, it could be argued that I spend much more time talking than I do actively listening. When you grow up in a family of five, you grow accustomed to the constant barrage of voices talking over one another, desperately trying to make their point over the dinner table, tricking yourself into thinking that if your voice is the loudest, you're winning the argument. But at some point, someone knocks over a glass of wine, or the dog starts to bark, or someone leaves the room offended. And eventually, you learn the art of tuning out. To tune out, the opposite of listening. Defined informally by Google as a phrasal verb, meaning to stop listening or paying attention to something. Defined more formally as to exclude a sound or transmission of a particular frequency. When so desired, I can be a master of tuning out. Which makes the question, what does it mean to listen, all the more difficult to answer. I brought this up recently to my therapist, this notion of tuning out. Because over the past several years, I've noticed that I spend a lot of time sleepwalking through my daily life. Not literally, but let's say, figuratively. I'm embedded into a routine that's familiar. I go through the motions of daily life without giving my actions much thought, because I'm pre-programmed to know which comes next. What began as perhaps a defense mechanism in chaotic family situations or emotional turmoil slowly seeped its way into my constant existence. And that's hard to escape once it's what you're used to. I have a difficult time being present, and the thought of grounding myself in my current state is not something that occurs to me often. Megan, my therapist, calls this living in autopilot mode, perhaps a tactic my brain has developed to protect me from feeling anxious, overwhelmed, or stressed. But for the sake of the assignment, and just for fun, I'll continue to refer to it as tuning out. Spending your entire life tuned out is both highly undesirable and ultimately unsustainable. It means you forget things. Significant dates, the plotline of a book you've read six times, your social insurance number, what you ate for dinner last night, when the last time you went home was, how long it's been since you last called your grandmother. When you're tuned out, days can turn into months before you realize how quickly time has slipped by. And then, sometimes reluctantly, you have to learn the art of tuning back in. So, what does it mean to tune in? It means that I have to continuously remind myself to pay attention to my surroundings, to notice scents, sights, and sounds in an attempt to pull myself back into reality. 
My assignment for Megan this month was to go on a walk without earphones and to pay close attention to the sounds of my environment without the usual distractions of music or a podcast. And so I set out to notice the sounds of the city of Ottawa. Or, if we want to be specific, the sounds of Centertown. Focus on the crunch of the snow beneath your boots, she said. Actively think to yourself, I am listening to the crunch of the snow. I am walking down the street, one foot in front of another, and I am present in this moment. I am acutely aware of the sounds around me. And, of course, there's a reason why she's in the profession that she's in. It's because she was right. So here's my long-winded answer to the question, what does it mean to listen? To listen is to be grounded in your surroundings. It's to commit to the act of noticing what you may have tuned out, whether intentionally or not, whether through complacency to familiarity or not. It's to break bad coping mechanisms and to restabilize yourself in the present moment so that you don't spend the next 60 years of your life coming to every few days, weeks, or months, realizing that time has once again slipped through your fingers, never to return. It's a conscious means of grounding yourself in the present simply by becoming actively aware of the sounds around you and what they can tell you about existing in this particular moment in time. The third and final piece is by Kennedy Ryan, and it's titled Patience. The central argument throughout the piece is that patience as a way of being is a key attribute of listening. But it's also important to note that the piece was written in the middle of February here in Ottawa, the precise moment that the city was being occupied by the convoy. So Kennedy naturally incorporates parts of her experiences in the city during that moment, trying to make better sense of how to process it and what it all meant philosophical piece that raises a number of provocative ideas, all of which surround the topic of listening. Kennedy? I want to use this audio response to talk about the relationship between patience and sound. The other day, I walked home from downtown. Usually, I relish the opportunity to walk to and from places. I pop my headphones in and keep my gaze steady as I move past others on the sidewalk. Walking has always been one of my favorite ways to use my body. It relaxes me, and at the same time, it makes me feel alive. I can get exercise, can clear my head, and it helps me to feel tethered to the people and places around me. I've mentioned before that I'm trying to take more walks without my headphones. I don't know why, but I feel a slight sense of embarrassment at how habituated I became tuning everything out. Maybe it's a lack of patience on my behalf. Maybe I do have a desire to get between point A and point B as quickly as possible. I've noticed that I'm more mindful when I walk without music, more in tune with my body. It's easier to drop down below my shoulders and to feel much more than my feet connecting with the pavement. I walked home the other day because there was no bus service on Bank Street. Police have cordoned off the downtown and are asking everyone where they were going, for what reason. And here, I have to turn to my previous education to help me understand what's going on. Maybe Raymond Williams and his understanding of the structure of feeling might be useful. Or maybe I can use the more recently fashionable affect theory as a lens. Or maybe it's just February. (laughs) It almost feels like my body is turning down a dial on my senses as it digs in to keep me intact until spring. One of the most insidious parts about this whole working to be able to afford to live thing is just how little space we make for our body's relationship with the seasons. Most work schedules don't flex to allow us time to catch up with ourselves. We forget that we are creatures with shifting physiological needs. Our bodies have complex hormonal pathways that follow circadian rhythms, and these govern everything from our sleep 
to our appetites, to our energy level. Our ability to cope also depends on the stability of our nervous system. I don't want to be so presumptuous as to assume that the people around me are feeling the same sort of ramped up pathetic fallacy that I am, but it's hard not to notice that the vibes are, well, they're they're kind of bad. Uh, People in downtown Ottawa, and here I'm referring to everything south of Parliament and down Bank Street to the tip of the island where I live, are not okay, it seems. People are shorter than usual, and I mean their tempers, not their stature. Uh, I like to notice on my walks, I like to see how people's force fields, their membranes almost, are bumping up against each other. And it seems as though everyone's on, it's like a guitar string that's being tuned so taut and it just feels like one flick of it would make it snap. And I think the relationship between patience and listening is, and maybe I'm, I hope I'm not being self-indulgent with my exploration of this, but when we are patient, we have more resources to listen. And also embedded in the notion of patience is the possibility of boredom and the very big question about how to best spend our time. Because we all know that there's a difference between looking for something to do and then feeling like we have something to do. And I think that sound plays a fairly big, often unexamined role in that. I think that when I am patient and when I am sitting with myself, that I can hear more of the sounds around me. I can hear, I feel more attuned to the people around me. I feel more attuned to my environment. And I can understand intimately the sounds that come with the texture of a day as it passes versus a week. I know that whenever I can hear the scraping of the garbage trucks that it's Wednesday again. And that when I hear my roommate taking a shower because she has to work early, that it's Friday. It might sound like I'm trying to tie two unrelated notions together. A, the civic unrest outside, and B, the sort of banal, domestic, sensory landscape that I experience, especially in late February. But I want to use two of the readings to help me illustrate what I'm getting at. First, the Sarasa reading talks about, and this is something that when I read it, my brain absolutely lit up. It talks about sensory habits and how they're formed. And here they quote Henry Bergson, that our senses require education. Without our gaining bodily knowledge of how the senses work in different contexts, life would be utterly chaotic. Every interaction with the world would be unexpected, confusing, and potentially dangerous without prior knowledge. Imagine if your body never remembered how it feels to touch a hot stove. Luckily, bodies have a tremendous capacity for memory because they do learn from past sensory interactions. Bergson asserts that bodily memory is made up of the sum of the sensory motor motor systems organized by habit. And here I want to bring in sort of my own research interest in the effects and the relationship between culture and our nervous systems and culture and our sensing organs, which is how our nervous systems receive information about the outside world. And I've become interested in uh, an emerging interdisciplinary 
field of well to call it psychology would be disingenuous it 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 has to do with psychology and medicine and i like to bring the cultural aspect in because of cultural studies but how our nervous system sorts itself out i think is reflected well it's a reinforcing loop it's reflected in the culture at large and in the culture at large determines the state of our nervous system and right now when i listen to the soundscape outside it sounds like everyone's nervous system is dysregulated in fact i would say that our current civic moment is everyone's dysregulated nervous systems interacting with each other and here i want to bring in the lacy reading about listening in the public sphere where towards the end they are quite explicit about listening and how it's a political activity and how it carries a heavy burden of responsibility. And I think that one thing that I haven't seen a lot of coverage on is how the people who came to protest in downtown Ottawa, I think that there is a sense of exclusion from the public sphere. And I wish that we would see it talked about in those terms because psychologically like from on a evolutionary and social psychology level exclusion fires up our nervous system it activates it but it activates it in a negative way and i think that a lot of the people who camped out in front of parliament they know that they're excluded from our public sphere and our public discourse and I think that what you saw was a reaction to that. I think that there are many different ways of looking at the current moment in Canada, in Ottawa. But for me, that is how I understand it. And then again, from the reading, uh, Lacey references Roman Coles and says, he says that listening and traveling then are thought together in terms of a democratic process that at once embody principles like equality, justice, freedom, and democratic engagement, and at the same time enable us to rearticulate the meaning of the these in different contexts with different people. And uh, it sounds I know it sounds so it sounds so peace and love and kumbaya, and it's I think we're completely past that pointantly. I think that Unfortunately, the way in which most of us interact with the public sphere, which is through these algorithmized social networks, I don't, I think we might be past the point of listening. And I, I mourn that. And again, I know that it sounds small, but I, I hope that by taking out my earbuds that I can do the listening that I so wish was happening on a larger scale. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. But before I sign off, a couple of quick notes. A reminder that what we've listened to here on this show is only a fraction of the work produced in association with this project. If you're interested in checking out more, have a look at theplaceofsound.ca, where you're not only able to hear more audio media, but in some cases, to see some of the original photos and the writing that students produce to go along with it. There's also a featured work section on the site's blog where you can access some notable individual projects. 
And in the classes section, you can have a look at some of the work produced in each of the previous semesters. And lastly, under the listen link, you're able to access the show's archive and listen back to any episode of the show you'd like to hear. But in the meantime, keep your ear out for upcoming episodes of the show, which air on CKCU Radio every other Monday at 6.30 p.m. and are available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Place of Sound. Thank you.